It seems like robbers are getting more bold in this season of Vegas news. Just this summer, we had a guy call a casino pretending to be the owner and then boom, over $1 million gone. It made the team wonder, what is the most notorious casino heist in Vegas history? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, my co-host David is going to tell us the wild story of how Heather Tallchief and Roberto Solis met each other, robbed Circus Circus, and got away with it. But there's a twist. Turns out robbing a casino for big bucks doesn't lead to the fantasy life some of us imagine. It's Tuesday, August 15th. I'm Vogue Robinson, and here's what Las Vegas is talking about. What's up, David? Are you ready to talk about crime? All, always. <laughs> That's going to be the commercial. Vogue and David talk about crime. True crime. So, David, we're coming up on the 30-year anniversary of one of Las Vegas's most notorious heists. And I need you to tell me this story because from what I read, it's wild. Yeah, for sure. And especially since we're seeing in the news now that, you know, people are being pretty bold calling up the casinos and telling them that they're the owner and they need money delivered to an IHOP ASAP. Ooh, that's money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I think, uh, you know, m- minds turn back to other notorious heists of uh, such a brazen nature. October 1st, 1993 is when it happened, Vogue. Most people remember the name of the woman who was involved. Her name is Heather Tallchief. So she's she's 21-year-old. She was originally from Buffalo, New York, came from a real sort of problematic household, a lot of drug abuse and things like that. Her family is part of the Seneca Nation up in, in the New York area. It's a rough house, right? Or her mom leaves when she's young. Her dad's doing drugs. It's just not the greatest environment. And she winds up moving out to the West Coast. She's in the Bay Area. And then uh, she does some training to become a nurse. And she starts working as a young woman, 19, 20 years old, in hospice care for AIDS patients in San Francisco in the early 1990s. So that is, that's a rough job. (laughs) That is, that's got to be one of the hardest jobs that has ever been. And uh, so she's doing this. She's taking care of those patients. She is looking for all sorts of different escapes. She winds up doing a lot of um, alcohol and then drugs and all that sort of thing. She winds up losing her job. So she's just about 21 years old right now. And She's, you know, hanging out in a bar in San Francisco and up comes this charming rogue poet, <laughs> I'm telling you, who just kind of starts chatting her up. He's, he's like 27 years older than her. And he, unbeknownst to her at the time, had just done a pretty significant stint in prison for murder for a armed robbery of a armored truck that went sideways. And the company that he robbed was Loomis. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So let's take Heather right there in the story. She's in the bar. She meets this guy, this handsome Nicaraguan fella. His backstory is interesting too. So 
his family were um, political asylum refugees from Nicaragua. His father was a lawyer who opposed Somoza, the dictator of Nicaragua. And so they fled to the United States. And so he was raised in the United States. And as a young man, he got mixed up in some things. He was involved with this robbery. It went wrong. And he got sent to prison for life at Folsom, a notorious prison in Northern California. So while he, and by he, his name is Roberto Solis, when Roberto Solis was in custody, he adopted a nom de plume, mm. a pen name for his poetry, and that was Pancho Aguila. And he became very prolific as a poet while in custody in the 1970s. And he caught the attention of some powerhouse publishers in the Bay Area. So Roberto Solis, uh, a.k.a. uh, Pancho the Poet, was petitioning the pardons board to get out of prison. Yeah, I was like, if he had a life sentence, how'd he meet Heather? (laughs) Well, that's the thing is he kept getting turned down by the prison board. And so finally, he rallied through his publishers, his poetry publishers, the literary community, to send letters to the governor to say, this guy's done his time. He is a valuable cultural asset. He promises he's going to go back to Nicaragua to try to get involved with the culture ministry down there. Let him out. I mean, it was a horrible mistake he made when he was a young man. He's done well over two decades in prison. Let him go. Word. So he, Hamilton, wrote his way out. Yeah. We get to San Francisco. He meets Heather in a bar. Well, and he's not just... I need crime, David. Well, we're going to get to the crime, but here's the thing. Like, he's in the poetry scene. He's doing open mics in the mission. He's doing the whole thing, right? He's interacting with people that we know. He also, I guess, was a little bit of a gambler. (laughs) A little bit. And he was a little bit of a gambler. And he sort of seduced Heather a little bit and convinced her to move to Las Vegas with him. Mm. And they just go up and move. She had already lost her job as a nurse. He was really super charming. Here's... A little twist I'm going to throw out, and then we're going to get right to the crime. He is very into what she describes as sex magic. No. Yep. So they go back. Okay. So the way she tells the story is that she goes back to his house in San Francisco, and there's like tarot cards everywhere. There's little figurines and statues. There's vials of liquid. Some are white. Some are red. And he's just into this whole mystic energy, the power of love and orgasm and Mm -hmm. manifesting things to happen through these rituals. It's a whole thing. Okay. This poor child. Okay. (laughs) So they move to Las Vegas and they don't have jobs. And he's like, we don't need jobs. I got this. And he's just doing little minor crimes and things of that nature, little little theft or whatever he's doing to sustain this lifestyle. He's gambling. He's taking care of his girlfriend. He is encouraging her to apply for jobs and is specifically pushing her to take a job at Loomis Armored mm-hmm. Car Service that services the casinos on the Strip uh, in 1973. She goes in as this 21-year-old No experience in this field whatsoever. Though, interestingly, and this is never 
you know, the Netflix documentary didn't get into it, and I've been trying to figure out where this thread sort of goes. She mm. was highly trained in firearms by that point. Like, she was oh. very proficient at firearms. So she gets hired basically on the spot by Loomis Security and gets made to be, wait for it, a driver of armored vehicles. Yeah. Wild. Like, right off the bat. So she's working this gig for a while, and the, here's how this works, right? So, like, every casino has an ATM, and they need to be serviced constantly because there's constantly money flowing through, and it has a lot of money flowing through it. And so Loomis would have this route where they would kind of go up and down the strip with a three-person crew. One person would be the driver, and then there'd be the two other armed security guards who would take these sort of bundles, these satchels of money, go into the casino, service the ATMs, and then come back to the truck, and then they move to the next spot. And so they did this, you know, every day. Unbeknownst to Loomis, Roberto Solis was helping Heather track these routes, observe where are security, where are cameras, where are the vulnerabilities, because a plot was unfolding that they were going to rob the, the armored car. And so they did this for a little while, not terribly long. She only worked for the company for two months before the heist actually occurred. So they were gathering a lot of data really quick. And they were being really, really clever about this. So so Lise had rented a, basically a warehouse garage space, not terribly far from the first stop, which is where the heist happened. And I'll let you know where that was in half a second. And then they told the manager, oh, we're a armored car mechanic service. Okay. Right. Okay. So that's what we do. We do servicing for armored cars. So Word. Uh, on the day in question, they filled up the truck with money from Loomis. They head to their first stop. Their first stop, Circus Circus. That, the, okay. beloved, the beloved 1960s hotel, Circus Circus, 1993. So she's going through what seems to be a normal work day. Uh, she drives up to Circus Circus, which is the first stop for mm-hmm. Loomis, and her crew of two other guys jump out of the mm-hmm. truck. Yeah, they these are guys who go, also work for Loomis. Who also work for Loomis. Heather and Roberto apparently had noted that Circus Circus was not only the first one on trip so that the van would be filled up with money, but that Circus Circus was one of the ones that took longest to kind of make the route so they would have all that extra time where Heather was alone with the truck. One interesting little side note is that the two guys who were basically left behind with empty satchels while the $3 million carted off with Heather said, we did notice one weird thing that day. And that weird thing was that she was wearing high heel shoes or dress shoes when normally she would wear work boots. Hmm. Okay. Weird. Yeah. So I'm going to just fast forward the story a little bit because it does take a lot of turns. She takes off with the truck. They're left literally holding bags, wondering what's happening, not sure if she was abducted. They call in. The police kind of show up and everyone's sort of scrambling. Meanwhile, she makes a beeline for that garage, pulls in. They unload all the money, put it into shipping boxes, and then she gets out of her uniform. According to her, Roberto takes her gun, but, you know, that's her version of the events. And he changes her into an outfit, 
where she's dressed up like an old lady with a white wig, changes her eye color from dark eyes to blue eyes, puts her in a shawl, puts her in a wheelchair. Yes. (laughs) And they have a charter jet waiting for them at the airport. And they drive to the airport. They stop off on the way to go to like a FedEx or whatever, like a shipping service, and mail out all the money, three mil in the mail. Yes. Then they get on the private plane. He is, is it in or- one big box or is it in like separate, like 18 different boxes? Oh, it's like in seven different boxes. That's a lot of tens, <laughs> fives, tens, and twenties, right? They left behind like three grand in the van in ones because they're like, that's a tip for the FBI when they come and wow. look for that, right? They didn't need the ones. That was a little much. So they ship out the money to an unknown location. They hop on this private plane. They had already worked out like all these different fake IDs and stuff like that. And you got to remember, this is pre 9-11. This is pre-2001. Yeah. So flying in and out of places wasn't as much a thing as it is now. So they're on this private jet. They shoot to Denver. Okay. They get mm-hmm. picked up by a limo. Then they get on a train. And then it's all planes, trains, and automobiles. And they are shooting up and back the country. They're like Mm -hmm. going past the destination they want to go to. And then they wind up back to New Orleans. Then they fly to Miami. And she's changing clothes all the time. And so I guess the whole thing with the dress shoes is that they would be more versatile for, they might be looking for somebody who would be in work boots. I don't even know. It just made it seem like they were more of rich people who would be getting these private jets and these limos. Right. Because even that doesn't even make sense. Like, I'm curious how they may, had enough money put aside to to book a charter bus, to book all of this travel from point A to point B to point A to point B. Oh, but well, I, I think that he move. had been doing these small little these small little robberies right. and He's then saving, saving up the money it. to do the big boy, you know, to do the big boy. That's what it seems like. Anyway, they wind up in Miami. They pick up the money. Unbeknownst to Heather Tallchief, she is one month pregnant with Roberto's child at this time. Oh, shit. She had no idea. So she pulled this off while she was pregnant. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. So now they're in Miami. And of course, by this point, like the cops are all over it. It's all over the news. And I'm going to tell you, being here in 1993, it was all people were talking about every day. It was on the news every day. The reward kept getting higher and higher and higher. But here is the weird twist about this, Vogue, is that when they finally figured out that Roberto Solis was involved in some, because they had gone to her apartment, they had found a bunch of shit, they found fingerprints, they had found a bunch of like fake brochures that sent the FBI all over the country trying to figure out where they were. So they mm-hmm. totally plant. They, they had this so wired in their minds, right? The FBI and the cops were always a step behind. They couldn't figure out where they were. But while while all that is going on, um, they're making plans to leave the country, of course. So where do they go? Well, here's the thing. They had misled the police to think that they were going back to Nicaragua, which is where his, you know, family was originally from and everything. Instead, they wound up going to um St. Martin in the Caribbean. They're hanging out there for a while. Roberto, God bless him, dirty poet. He's bringing other ladies around. <laughs> so there are other women that he's kind of bringing in and out from Miami. Has she St. had the Martin. baby yet? While he's out here just bringing people around? No, no, she's still preggers. So finally, they they got the money. Hey, they got away and they head to Amsterdam because at the time, Amsterdam did not have extradition with the United States. So that was the plan. They go to Amsterdam. She has the baby. 
they give the baby a fake name for the birth certificate there. Mm. He is not listed as the father on any level, mm-hmm. so they don't even put father down. They're living life in Amsterdam. Surprise, surprise, more ladies coming in, etc. And at some point, Heather's just like, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. I'm just going to grab, and by her account, I'm going to grab 16 grand. I'm going to grab my baby, and I'm going to just start a life in Amsterdam. Oh, come on, sis. You need way more than 16 grand. Well, that's her Damn. story that she only took 16 grand, but whatever. Mm-hmm. She gets a fake passport, a British passport. She gets a fake passport for her child, and they're just living mama baby life. They meet a guy. He basically adopts them as his family, you know, and then it's just mom and pop and baby living their lives for the next decade in Amsterdam. She got a British passport to live in Amsterdam. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) this is where the Roberto Solis story goes cold. Nobody knows what happens to him after that. He's got this money. He's got all these different girls. He's probably writing poetry somewhere, doing open mics, because, you know, poets cannot help themselves. But no one knows where. Heather Tallchief is living with her kid and her new guy, her new husband, basically, uh, in Amsterdam. But that passport that she had under the fake name, the British passport, is about to run out mm-hmm. and because it was only good for 10 years. And so she has this moment and she's like, I'm not going to do this anymore. I, I need my kid to have roots. I haven't talked to my family in over a decade. Hmm. He doesn't know who he is. We are basically people without a real country. She called a lawyer in America, said, here's, here's, my, here's my story. He was a good guy. She called a good mm-hmm. guy lawyer. This guy is total salt of the earth, good guy lawyering. Mm-hmm. They arranged for her to come to America. She does an interview with like Dateline some local media, whatever, and then walks over to the FBI in Las Vegas and turns herself in. No. Yeah. David, would you have taken her case? A hundred percent. Actually, one of my friends was involved in her case and also another really good guy who now is a federal judge. Nice. So, okay, she turns herself in. She turned herself in. What are the consequences then of her turning herself in? So like what they charge her with and like, did she get any fines or anything? Yeah, well, so she left her baby back in, who's now like a preteen, back in Amsterdam. And the documentary actually hits on that really. It's real heartstring stuff, right? She told them the whole story mm-hmm. before she went to America. The attorneys for Heather Talchi were like, look, she was under the spell of this guy. He used to play, <laughs> according to her, VHS hypnotism tapes during that two-month period that they were in that apartment in Vegas where it's like his voice under these like swirling mm. images to try to control her to do all these different things, et cetera. The, the government, the prosecutors didn't like buy it and they were asking for a maximum sense. I mean, she was looking at 40 years for Damn. this giant-ass crime. But at the end of the day, the, the judge, Judge Philip Pro, who's now a senior judge, also somebody well-known in the Las Vegas community, was like, look, I, I feel you. I feel your story. You did turn yourself in. Something's, that's worth something. But, you know, there's consequences to our conduct, and I have to give you time. And he wound up giving her five years in federal custody. And then she wound up with five years of federal custody and five years of supervision once released. And then ultimately she was reunited with her family and they're all living in America. And then I was looking up the court record to see when the last thing that happened was with the court. 
And then in 2017 was the last recorded entry in her court case. And the judge, at the time, Chief Judge Gloria Navarro, had ordered her to pay something like $2.7 million in restitution to... Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me, David. That's the part that irritates me, is if the amount stolen was about $3.1 million, she turns herself in. Why is... I feel like 1.5. You know, like, charge me, charge oh, me like half. Go halfsies. Yeah. I'm half, the, I'm half the crime team. The actual amount may be in controversy. I've seen it as low as 2.5 million. I've seen it as high as 3.1. It's still too close to three. Yeah, well, that's the way the criminal justice system works is... Trash. And it's not like she's ever going to be able to pay that back. There's a name Who's, for it. It's called joint and several liability. What job is she going to be able to get <laughs> if if she's expected to pay, pay that off and still make a living for herself? Well, I'm going to tell you, get, she's back working in healthcare. So that that's not going to pay that two million plus restitution bill. That's right. for sure. So <sighs> we don't know where in the country she is, by the way. She's Word. just sort of like yeah, out there, and yeah, I get it too. And I'm guessing she's not Heather Tallchief anymore. That I'm would be sure. a good guess too. So I'm curious, like. <sighs> What are the blind spots that still remain in Vegas security, especially when it comes to the Strip? Because I feel like considering the last crimes that, that just happened, things are lacking. So what do you think? What are what are the blind spots that, that they need to check up on? Here's what's totally interesting is that it, it's not the only heist to ever have occurred on the Strip since or before. But most of the bigger ones are all inside jobs on some level, that there's always some employee who just decided, I, I kind of know where the blind spots are and or I can game the vulnerabilities. So no matter what they do, no matter how much they increase security, and I don't know, I think security is actually in a, a, a little down, down spiral right now. They're not paying these folks enough money. Uh, they're working them hard. There's a lot of challenges because people behave in very poorly all the time. Um, I think the blind spot is that it sounds like how they're paying their workers. Well, there's that Like too, the blind right? spot is until these spaces, you know, pay their workers well, there's always going to be the possibility mm. of an inside job occurring between security, the people who work in the cages, the people who don't get to make their tips, all people people who don't have adequate health care. You keep playing around and making it to where people are, are scrounging. Are you yeah. literally saying capitalism? Round and find out. David, <laughs> that's how I feel. That's what it sounds like. And I don't know of any other blind spot that's there that they can actually, that they have power over. It's human behavior. And what do what do we do when we're, when we are desperate? Yeah. Well, that Netflix series is called Heist. It's a fun watch if you're interested in more details about this story, but definitely one of those that goes down in the book of ages for uh, interesting crime on the strip in Las Vegas. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Thanks for <laughs> filling me in, David. <laughs> Until the next crime. Until the next crime. Before you go, we have an exciting announcement. CityCast Las Vegas is giving away two pairs of tickets to Life is Beautiful 2023. This giveaway closes on September 8th, so don't miss out on a chance for you and a friend to roam the downtown streets and see over 70 musical acts at our city's premier music and arts festival. Want to enter? Go to lasvegas.citycast.fm 
forward slash L-I-B to enter or visit social media at CityCast Vegas for all the details. Good luck. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Leave us a review if you'd like to hear more true Vegas crime on the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Take care. So oh, the other thing I wanted to say really quick was like when that st- when the story first came out, uh, everyone's like, oh, he definitely killed her. He threw her out no. of a plane and took the money for himself. Like everyone, including her family, was just like, oh, she's totally dead. Like this is some dumb 21-year-old who got manipulated into doing this crime for this other guy who was a bad dude in their minds, obviously. Mm. I mean, he had done some prison time. I don't – anyway – Convicted um, for murder. I was like, convicted yeah, I mean, murder. Yeah, convicted for murder, <laughs> sure. But also, like, <laughs> they definitely, he definitely killed her. Everyone was like, he definitely killed That's her. What so when thought. she shows up, like, literally out of the blue, 12 years later, 